Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. On today's broadcast, in celebration of Black History Month, Andrew is joined by David Barton as they discuss the numerous black heroes of America. In the South, the war is over, but that didn't change hearts. If someone like a Woodrow Wilson comes out with his book and doesn't tell me about these black heroes, then I don't know about them. Well, that's a problem. And now, here's Andrew. So I'm glad that you're with me today for a very special edition of The Gospel Truth. And I'm interviewing David Barton. I mean, experts, authority on American history. And during this Black History Month, we are sharing some things about the heroes of America who were black. Most of you have never heard this. I tell you, it's going to bless you. I believe it will be a tremendous inspiration to you. So please stay tuned for our Black History Month with David Barton. I mean, we, we had the federal bills. I mean, these, these happen to be three of the original federal bills of this, this um, 24 Civil Rights Act. This is a federal bill. Uh, this one is to equalize the pay of soldiers in the American Army. Black and white soldiers get equal pay. Uh, this, is, this is one um, that's, that gives equal rights before the courts of law. In courts of law, blacks and whites are equal. Um, this one is the Freedmen's Bureau to make sure that, that blacks are able to get all this, the, the things they need from the government. And, and so all of that's there. It doesn't matter that we pass that federally because in the South, they just ignore it. And, you know, one of the most... Atrocious... How did they get away with this? Were they claiming like state rights or something? Or... Well, they, they have the enforcement mechanisms because they still have the money. They still have the power. They still have the intimidation. They still have the Klan. Uh, they have so much more organization than blacks have because blacks are, are new to the process. So was the Klan actually sponsored or endorsed by the Democrats? Yes. As a matter of fact, in the Texas primaries, um, there and, and same, same in uh, Alabama, there were Democrat candidates who ran opposing the Klan, and they could not get elected. They came back the next election, endorsed the Klan, and got elected. And so there are instances in the South throughout the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s that if you as a Democrat candidate oppose the Klan, you will not get elected. It was called the Solid Democrat South, and it, it was a, a Democrat, and, and by intimidation, by, by laws, for example, for blacks to vote, it was very difficult um, there were 11 or so what are called Jim Crow laws that were passed. And so blacks now, had to... the Jim Crow laws, again, I, I'm a little bit new to the... I've heard that terminology, but didn't know what it meant. But isn't this talking about like poll tax and just different barriers that they put different in barriers. the way of yeah. the blacks? For voting. example, if you are black and want to vote, here's what you do. It's real simple. You can vote. We, we are welcome to have you vote. Um, you have to go to this place across town to vote for the sheriff. You come back over here to vote for your state rep. You've got to go to the next county. They, they made every ballot position a different place across town. So and they wouldn't do that for the whites. No, whites go and cast all their ballots in one place. So blacks have to go to a dozen places to vote. Or what they would also do is what they call hide and seek polling places. I'm going to vote for sheriff. Uh, yeah, you know, the poll was here. We moved it 30 minutes ago across town. And so you're just chasing. They never announced where they were going to be. They just, you have to chase the poll boxes all over town. And so they call hide and seek voting boxes. There was, there was 11 different ways they used to keep blacks from having any political influence. And I guess the poll tax was because the blacks basically were poorer than the whites. They couldn't afford to. They were poor. And, and if you were white, they had what they call grandfather clauses. This is where the term grandfather clause came from because it said, if your grandfather was a free person in the South, then you're exempted as a white person. 
Well, what you're looking at, you're voting in the 1870s and 80s. My grandfather goes back to 1810s and 20s. So if he was a free person, I get the next 60 years of not paying poll taxes as a white guy. Crazy. Mm -hmm. So they, they did all these things to discriminate solely. And so when you get to Alabama, uh, because of this, only about 1% of the black population in Alabama was able to vote because of Jim Crow laws. Even though Alabama is more black than white, at that point in time, only 1% of Alabama blacks were able to vote because of all these atrocious laws. You know, it sounds to me like that this isn't all about race as much as it is about the South was humiliated and they didn't want to give up the fact and they were losing influence and losing power and stuff. And it just goes back to the same thing that we see today, that it's just human nature. We want our way. We do not want to be told what to do. And so they use the Klan they use these Jim Crow laws. They used whatever they could to maintain the status quo. See, I, we're talking about American black history. But if you want to go to Japanese history, you have the same issue, except for them, it was the Chinese. While Hitler exterminated six million Jews in the Holocaust, the Japanese tried to exterminate the Chinese. More than 10 million Chinese were wiped out by, by Japan as an empire during World War II. And you can go to other nations where Stalin. you have the same. It's all over the world. And I, I like old TV programs, and there's an old musical, Roger Hammerstein musical, South Pacific. And South Pacific is about an interracial marriage and the prejudice that goes with it. And this was done really as kind of a little parody on what was happening in America in the 1960s. And the song is, you have to be taught to hate. Yep. Because when you put children that. together in a place, they don't, kids don't care whether you're black, white, red, green, purple, polka dot. Well, they don't care. They have fun. You have to teach kids, oh, no, that one. You can't be with that. And so that was what was happening so much in the South. They were teaching this hate, teaching this their stereotype. When you start stereotyping people, that's a real problem. And so that's where a lot of this stayed alive. And by not having federal help of enforcement, your education doesn't change. Your political system doesn't change. Your infrastructure doesn't change. Your economics don't change. You may be a black landowner, but you can't do anything with your land. Um, you know, I, I have documentation, bless their heart. Black people, if they lost a job, got unemployed, they were arrested and charged with vagrancy. And that now means you can no longer vote because you've given up your voting rights as a criminal. So as soon as you become unemployed, they arrest you and charge you and give you a police record. We, we have a, a, a one of those police reports of a girl who was ironing and she finished the ironing job and they said, oh, you're now unemployed. So they mugshot her and she can't vote anymore because she's. So it sounds like that the blacks uh, with these new freedoms and the amendments to the Constitution begin to start gaining influence. And when this uh, blockade over the president, Rutherford B. Hayes, they uh, they finally came up with the president, but they withdrew the troops. And I guess it in the South, the Democrats then had the upper hand. They did. They, and they had did the that change hand. the makeup of the U.S. Congress and all of that? Because it changed it significantly. Um, it, it changed it significantly. What you'll find, here's a great example. Dyer sees the end of white supremacy. This is a Northern Republican who kept introducing bills against lynching. Talked about how 4,800 people have been lynched. To this day, there is not a federal law against lynching. That's not a federal crime in America to lynch someone. So what happened more than 200 times, lynching bills were killed by Democrats in Congress. Now, people don't know that that's who killed it. 
So but just so that they could empower the clan? Empower the clan, empower their enforcement They were using arm. the clan. They were using the clan. Uh, a version of the clan in South Carolina was called the Bloody Shirts or the Red Shirts. And it said to be a member of this, you have to be able to control the vote of one Negro. If you can control the vote of one Negro, you can be in this Democrat affiliate. So to, to commendation, uh, U.S. Senator Sam Brown back, who's Governor Brown back, who is now the Religious Liberty Ambassador, mm -hmm. In the U.S. Senate, Sam Brownback passed from the U.S. Senate an apology to America asking forgiveness that we never passed an anti-lynching law, that it was killed 200 times by the U.S. Senate. And he was gracious enough to put no political names to it. He said the Senate never passed anti-lynching law. He did not make it a partisan thing. He was seeking, he, he was so good at wanting to seek reconciliation. He, and, and so even when he became governor, he went back to a number of the Indian tribes and said, we need to reconcile the Kansas Indians after who Kansas is named. They don't even live in Kansas anymore. They were driven out. And so he went back and had prayer services and treaties of them, gave them white buffaloes and he's into reconciliation. And, and so, I mean, the fact that we go 200 times killing anti-lynching laws in Congress, that's unbelievable. And that we don't have one today, but it was stopped. So all through that time, it became partisan. Now, and people say, oh, you're pushing a political party. No, I'm just telling you what happened. You need to look at stuff today, and I don't care whether you're Democrat or Republican. Hopefully, if you're a Christian, you vote biblical. You don't vote on any party. And hopefully, that means you take both party platforms and read them, because those party platforms tell you what each party is going to do with their policy. And you need to hold that up against the Bible and say, you know, one of my favorite founding fathers, we talked about earlier, Benjamin Rush, talked about how he served in three different presidential administrations, signer of the declaration. All three presidential administrations were from three different political parties. The three presidents he had were from all different parties. And somebody asked him one day, what party are you? He said, well, he said, I've been called a Democrat, one party. I've been called an aristocrat, another party. He said, I'm neither. He said, I'm a Christocrat. I go, that's exactly it. I'm going to stand where Christ stands on stuff. And, and so while we're talking history, and this is Black History Month, and this is all documented history, this is not a commercial to be this or be that. Christians need to be biblical, and, and they need to vote biblical and think biblical and look at things biblical and, and approach whatever needs to be done in a biblical manner. But you still need to remember history because you can learn from it. Republicans can learn from Democrat history. Democrats can learn from Republican history. If you love the truth more than you love a party, and, and by the way, Dr. Uh, not excuse me, George Washington, in his farewell address, is considered one of the best political addresses ever by a president. As a matter of fact, in American public education, um, it used to be that up to your first eight years of school, you had to take a written exam every year in Washington's farewell address. And one of the things Washington said in there said the greatest enemy of any nation is loving a party more than you love principles. And he called, parties are okay, that's how you run candidates, nothing wrong with that. But to love a party more than you love principle, that will destroy a nation. And we will get back to some more uh, black history individuals, but let me just bring this out, that you helped write the uh, Republican Party platform for what, 2016? 2016, the, the most recent election, I've helped write it three times. And we have worked very hard to keep God and Bible and faith centered there. And, and we've been able to create policies that have done that. And by your own statement, you think that it's probably one of the most pro-Christian, pro-moral uh, platforms that the Republicans have ever had. Uh, I can say that having studied platforms and we collect them, we have platforms from various parties, whatever. 
Uh, I will say the 2016 Republican platform, uh, many sections in it are the most biblical, the most constitutional of any platform I've ever read. Uh, and we worked hard to do that. I mean, I went through this two years in a row. I did the 2012 and the 2016. And in the 2012, I made 149 amendments to it. In the 2016, I made 70 amendments. So we had to change it to get it there. But the other people were willing to say, yeah, we want to go that direction. And that's why platforms are important, because they represent the people elected within that framework to create the policies. And I agree with you that I'm a Christocrat. That's right. But in contrast, what is the Democratic platform for 2016? Well, I think it was probably, in my estimation, the clearest distinction or the opposites that I've ever seen in politics. In it, on, on biblical positions. Now, you know, we can argue over taxes, how big they should be or whether they should be in it. We can argue over uh, over exports. We can argue over. But for biblical positions, for me, Ten Commandment kind of issues, those two platforms were polarized. And it's interesting in the 2016. Just Google it. Look it up on, on YouTube. In the 2016 uh, Democrat platform, they voted to take God, the mention of God, out of every place in the platform. God was not to appear. And then they got so much attack in the media that they went back in and said, let's put God back in the platform in one location. And the delegates voted it down, but they still hammered it in because they needed it. So God went in as an adjective, not as a noun. So the, the, the one place that God is mentioned in the Democrat platform in 2016, it is a hyphenated God. So it's, it's not even, you know, the God we, we would say in that sense. It's a hyphenated thing. So when you look at it, abortion, abortion all the way up to, to infanticide, you know, born, past the even point of viability. Yeah. Democrats were there. Democrats were for getting rid of traditional marriage. God said a man and a woman. Democrats were for all sorts of genders. God said I made them male and female. Democrats were putting LGBTQ rights over religious rights. The scriptures 30 times talk about the rights of conscience are to surpass every other right. And so if a baker says, my conscience won't let me support a gay wedding, then we'll go with the baker. Over here they say, no, the baker's got to give up his religious rights. I mean, the, the contrast on biblical issues where that the scripture is clear, there's a big difference. Now, other things Republicans, Democrats can argue over all the time. So let long. me go back to one thing that you mentioned earlier about the Dred Scott case when you were talking about that. Uh, you didn't make comment on this, but I've heard people today talk about the Supreme Court that once the Supreme Court rules something, that that's just the law of the land. It's like the highest authority. They, in a sense, have exalted that branch of government above any of the others. And yet the Dred Scott case... Uh, was pretty much ignored by Lincoln and eventually overturned. Well, it was ignored by a whole lot of presidents before that, not just Dred Scott. I mean, we are told today that we have three co-equal branches of government. If that's true, then why does one branch tell the other two what to do? If it's co-equal, that doesn't make sense. What happens is way back under President Thomas Jefferson, the Supreme Court made a ruling, and Jefferson said, you're crazy, I'm not doing that. And they called it a perversion of law, and President just ignored it because he said, you're dead wrong on this. Then when you get to Andrew Jackson, same thing. He said, they've made their decision. Let's see if they know how to enforce it. He ignored it. Uh, you get to Abraham Lincoln. They made the Dred Scott decision that said you cannot free a black because the black is property. So they're not human. So you can't free them. And Lincoln and running for president said, the good news is that's only the Supreme Court. And of course, they mean nothing. And so that, that was what. And in his first inauguration, he said, you know, if we ever agreed to allow the court to, to make our policies and get the final word, then 
elections would be worthless. Why do we have elections if we let the court make? So all the way through, we ignored the court. So once again, lack of knowing history has put us in a position to where when the Supreme Court decides something, people basically quit the fight and say, well, that's it. That's right. And, and this is an area, again, that's very important to me because Isaiah 126 says the righteousness of the land is based on the judges and land. For me, in any election, the number one thing I'm going to look at in a federal election for president and for senator is what kind of judges will I get? And I will tell you that that was my biggest concern in 2016. You can say what you want about anything else. I want good judges who will get out of the way of morals and religion. And so we have two new justices on the Supreme Court. As a result, we now are experiencing, and, and most Americans don't know, we now are experiencing religious liberties that we've not enjoyed in 70 years in America. We now have, for the first time in my lifetime, we have a court that did not strike down a cross off a city seal yep, in Pennsylvania. That's awesome. We have a, a, a court that said, you know, that war memorial in Maryland, it stays up, it's a cross. And by the way, with war memorial cross in Pennsacola, it stays up. And while we're at it, the Pennsylvania policy of opening every legislative session in prayer, we're gonna keep that. I mean, we're winning cases we haven't won in 70 years. I just read a, a piece, I think yesterday, about something that happened and the liberals typically would have just immediately uh, filed suit and have kicked it up, you know, into the appellate courts. And they just said, well, there's no point because the appellate court has gone uh, conservative right. and we will be turned down. So they didn't even fight it. They didn't fight it. Uh, that's I, that's I mean, the first time in my We're coming up memory. nearly, I guess, nearly 200 federal judges that have been appointed. That's and awesome. they have a different mindset. Many of them are friends I've worked with in the trenches. And they are biblical guys. They are, they are strong biblical thinkers. And they're now on courts. And it's like suddenly, you know, righteousness exalts a nation. We're going to do things that God can bless. We love to sing the song, God Bless America. But my gosh, give them something to work with, you know. And one last and thing before are. we go back to some more individuals is that people believe that the Supreme Court justices are appointed for life and that there is nothing you can do. They are in there regardless. Address that. Another misnomer, um, the, the judicial reform movement got started in 1765 in America with Sam Adams because the British, we were British colony, right? So we have British judges and Sam Adams said, these guys are driving us crazy. British judges have appointment for life and they're not accountable to the people. And so we here in America, these guys from Great Britain are telling us how to do our stuff. He said, we can't do that. He said, if we ever get a chance, we're not gonna have lifetime appointment for judges and they will be accountable to the people. Well, we got our chance. And so when we wrote the Constitution, the Constitution does not give lifetime appointments. It says judges can, federal judges can serve for the duration of good behavior. As long as you behave well, we'll leave you on the court. If you misbehave, we'll take you off. This is where it gets fun. How do you define misbehavior? The guys who wrote the document, look at the first six federal judges they took off the court. One federal so judge. So they kicked people off oh, the yeah. Supreme oh, Court. Oh, yeah. In, in the early years, the founding fathers took judges right off the what court. What would the date have been? Was this well, been this went all the way to maybe 1804. If you look at the first, I think the first six judges that were taken off all in those early days, 18, early 1800s, one judge cussed in the courtroom. They said, that's bad behavior for a judge. You're gone. <laughs> For cussing in the now courtroom. Now we got presidential candidates. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Then uh, another another one was rude to a witness in a trial and said, "You can't be rude to a witness. That's not good behavior for a judge." They threw a federal judge off the court for being rude to a witness. Two federal judges got thrown off the court for what they called judicial high-handedness. You're just acting arrogant. You can't be on a judge. You can't be a judge. They're gone. One guy got thrown off the court for getting drunk in his private life, not his public life. Didn't affect his job. 
In his private life, they said, that's bad behavior for a judge. People will lose confidence in judge if you have private life that's bad. One guy tried to overturn a law of Congress, and they said, you're gone. You know, you, you can't. So we now, these not, are federal judges. Federal judges. So federal has the judges. Supreme Court, have they ever removed anybody from the Supreme you know what? Court? In 18, I think it's 1805, Chief Justice John Marshall said the current opinion is that a Supreme Court rendering an opinion opposite to Congress will result in an impeachment. That's what the Chief Justice Supreme Court said, is in the climate they had at that point. So you know what that tells judges? Don't, don't th strike down laws of Congress. Now, see, the deal is the founding fathers thought that the court should always have an opinion, but they don't get the final word because they're not elected. So to this day, like even the, the marriage decision that said the Obergefell decision that says we're striking down 32 state laws giving marriage, at the top it says the opinion of the court. For is, those that aren't familiar with that, you're talking about homosexual marriage. Homosexual marriage, that's right. And so since 1789, at the top, it says the opinion of the court. It's not the law of the court. It's their opinion. And so if Congress wants to go, you know, that's a good idea. We hadn't thought about that. We'll go back and change the law because you made a great point. It was the opinion of the court, but it was never the law of the court. It was never the final word. And that's where Americans, again, by not reading our documents, not reading our history, not knowing that Sam Adams started this movement to make sure we didn't have lifetime appointments for judges back in 1765, we don't know that today. So we've uh, kind of digressed a little bit yeah. into things, but uh, some other black. Let, let me. Uh, I'm going to use the story of of because um, you mentioned Dred Scott. So let's let's take that Dred Scott case that came out of Missouri, and that case out of Missouri said blacks aren't people that they they have no rights. Well, what happened was the Dred Scott decision. Right before Dred Scott decision, three years before. Uh, Congress had passed the Kansas-Nebraska Act, and before that, four years before, they passed the Fugitive Slave Law, two of the worst laws ever passed by any Congress in the history of the United States. At that point in time, anti-slavery folks, there were 20 anti-slavery folks that said, we've had it. We're going to start a new party. We want to go back to the principles of the republic. We talked yesterday. The original principle was, let's get liberty. We got slavery. We got to end it. Let's get it over with. It changed in the 1820s. So this new party said, look, we're going to end slavery. We're going to get civil rights. Everybody's equal. And they were Democrats. And they said, let's call ourselves Republicans because we want to go back to the principles of the republic. So the original Republican platform, I actually have it here, that was done by 20 Democrats, former Democrats. And this is the original Republican platform. So what happens is now that they have this group of Republicans in, in Congress, um, the, their leader is a guy named Charles Sumner. Now, Charles Sumner has some, some great stuff here that I'll pull out. Charles Sumner, this is a speech that he did called Crime Against Kansas. This is when the Kansas-Nebraska Act was passed. He said, it's a crime what we've done to Kansas because we brought Kansas in as an anti-slavery state. This Congress has now passed a law that said they can have slavery there. That's a crime against Kansas. And so he attacked slave owners. And while he was giving that speech in, in Senate, a Democrat came across from South Carolina, Preston Brooks, and clubbed him down and nearly killed him on the floor of the Senate for giving that speech. So right shortly after that, you have the Dred Scott decision come down, but, but he's, been, he's been out of Congress for three and a half years because it created brain damage and, and mobility issues. So he gets back in. When he comes in, he comes back in three and a half years later. The next speech he gives is he picked up right where he left off with the first speech. It's like, you're not going to intimidate me. So when we finally get the 13th Amendment passed that banned slavery... That's 1865. On the day we banned slavery, really fun. Charles Sumner took this man and went to the Supreme Court chamber. Now, the Supreme Court met in the U.S. Capitol up until 1935. And so 
Justice Taney, who gave the Dred Scott decision saying blacks are not people, this is a black attorney named John Rock. And Charles Sumner said, come with me. He took him over to Chief Justice Taney, said, we just abolished slavery. I want this man sworn in as the Supreme Court attorney. This is the first black man ever sworn in the Supreme Court bar, sworn in by the justice who actually gave the Dred Scott decision. This guy is unbelievable. And this was the day they passed the The day the they passed the 13th Amendment. Wow. He took him over to the, Charles Sumner took him over. This guy is so cool. He, he has four careers. He was a school teacher. He was a dentist. He was a doctor. He was an attorney. I mean, and, you know, that's an accomplishment for anybody. But back in those in days, those days with, with, like you were saying, against them reading and things like this, yeah. that's amazing. Man, if you've watched all of today's program, I know that you were blessed. And I want to encourage you to, you need to not only get this, you need to get this so that you can go over it yourself, but so that you can share it with other people. We have six weeks worth of television broadcasts, the two that I'm doing here during Black History Month 2020, but also... We have uh, teachings that I interviewed David back in 2009 and also 2013. And so six weeks worth of interview with David Barton. And this would be a blessing to you. We've also got information about how you can go directly to their website at Wall Builders. And it would be a blessing. You need this not only for yourself, but for other people. Listen to our announcer and please call or write today. Today, you saw a portion of Andrew's interview discussing Black History Month and the role Black Americans have played in America's history. This entire interview is available as part of the God and Country album, which also includes previous interviews with David Barton discussing America's godly heritage. God and Country is available in either a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount when you contact us. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. This is an early reminder for you to save the date of June the 29th through July the 3rd. Those are the dates of our Summer Family Bible Conference. This is one of the premier events that we host every year, and it's just going to be awesome. we got a special musical presentation on July the 4th, if you'd like to stay over for that. It's going to be a special time. Make plans to join us for the ministry to the entire family, June the 29th through July the 3rd. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God already had determined a purpose for your life, a God-given purpose. God has a purpose to train you in what you're called to do, and I tell you, Karis Bible College is the place for that. Man, if you want a life change, come to Karis. Come on to Karis! You need to take a step of faith and start believing God for something big. God made every one of you for something special. The next two to three years could be the most powerful time of your life. 
you sit under the Word for four hours a day, for five days a week, for two or three years, I guarantee you, you are going to have God speak to you and start revealing purpose to you. We all have a purpose and a destiny, and you will find that out when you attend Karis Bible College. Every one of you were created for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? Experience Karis Bible College during our Campus Days event in Woodland Park, Colorado. Enjoy the teachings, meet the instructors, and find God's purpose for your life. Learn more at karisbiblecollege.org. I'd like to encourage you to check out Gospel Truth TV. You can have access to my teaching and a lot of our friends 24-7. It'll be a blessing.